If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can look there. It should also be on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look again at the first 11 verses. Last week, I read the same passage I'm just about to read to you now, and we really looked at 1 through 9, verses 1 through 9, and this morning, we're going to kind of recap that and then dive into 10 and 11. So pay particular attention to verse 10 and 11. Don't forget, this is God's word to you. You can bank the entirety of your life, you can bank everything that might happen to you this week on what I'm about to read. So hear this, it comes from God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we gather here because we need to hear this from you. Lord Jesus, you have invited us to learn from you, to come to you, to receive from you all that you are so that we might find rest. So Lord, we acknowledge that before you right now our hearts are open. It is impossible for us to deceive you. It's impossible for us to pretend that we're something that we really aren't before you. It is impossible for us in any way to escape your knowledge of who we are. So remind us of that as we go through this text so that we might be found in Christ afresh. And God, I pray in particular that you would cause us to delight in Jesus. That we wouldn't just simply understand more about him. Because of who you are and because of your spirit at work in our lives through this, we need to delight in our Savior. Help us to do that. For your glory's sake, I pray. Amen. What is it in your future that changes your now? What is it? What is it in your future that changes your now? 
Perhaps it's a promotion. Perhaps it is the fact or the possibility of getting a job. Perhaps it is the thought of marriage. Perhaps there's something that is dark and ominous in your future that changes your now. Perhaps there's something that's threatening in the future that you think is changing your now. What is it that is in your future that changes your now? It could be a vacation. You might be looking forward to getting away. You might be looking forward to some rest, and that affects your now. What is it in your future that changes your now? Before we get to dive into that answer and think about it that more, we need to remember where we've been in this chapter in Philippians and remember where we've been in the first nine verses, Don't because we can't forget this. It's easy, the Apostle Paul has been trying to convince us, God has been trying to convince us to the Apostle Paul, that it's very easy to live our lives as if my life is Jesus plus something else. It's easy to live life as if it's Jesus plus something. Meaning, if you're here this morning and you're exploring the truth claims of Christianity, it's easy for you to get distracted away from Christ and get caught up in all kinds of other questions that are incredibly important and I'm sure mean an awful lot to you and perhaps cause an enormous amount of stress and consternation. But in a sense, they're a distraction if they're distracting you from thinking about Jesus and what the Bible says about Christ and who Christ claims to be. And if you're here and you are a believer and have entrusted your life to Christ, it's also easy for you to think that your life is Jesus plus something else. Oftentimes because perhaps you're just bored of thinking about Christ. So you think, I've, I've already got him. I've already understood what his cross means. I already know what that means, so I just need to move on to something else. Maybe you're bored, or maybe it's just you think you're more mature and don't need to focus on him any longer. It's easy to live our lives as if our life is Jesus plus something else. And to go even a little bit deeper... The Apostle Paul seems to think that oftentimes that plus thing, that extra thing, oftentimes what that is, is putting confidence in the flesh. When you read the first three verses and you find what Paul lists there is what it means to be truly circumcised, the third thing that he lists, he lists three things. The third thing that he lists is those who are truly circumcised, who understand circumcision, they put no confidence in the flesh. And then he spends a pretty good piece of time explaining what it means to put confidence in the flesh. As if he's saying, look, this is what we do. We often live as if it's Jesus plus confidence in the flesh. Meaning, we have a tendency to live our lives as if it's Jesus plus my accomplishments. Jesus plus my resume, Jesus plus my record, Jesus plus everything that I am. You see, we oftentimes define ourselves by what we have done. We define ourselves by our resume. That resume can be familial. We can think to ourselves, well, I come from a really strong family. My name, my family name means something. And I put a lot of confidence in that. You were to ask me who I am, I would tell you, this is my name. This is where I'm from. These are my relatives. 
At other times, it can be professional. Your resume can also spill over into who you are professionally. Your titles, your accomplishments. Oftentimes, it can be our education. Well, I have this level of education. Here's my resume. Look at how wonderful I am. Here's how you can define me. Look at my education. At other times, it can be our sexuality. If you really want to know who I am, I define myself by my sexuality. But other times, it can be our intentions. I really have good intentions with everything that I do. Look at my intentions and you will know who I really am. We define ourselves by the intention of our heart. You see, what we're getting at here is, what is it? What is it that you point to, to convince yourself and to convince other people, and maybe even God, that you're somebody? What is it? What is it that you point to to convince yourself and others and God that you are someone? Paul lays out his resume. Look at four through six. Paul lays out his resume. Here's who I am. Here's who I am. Here's my education, here's my family, here's what I've done, here are my titles, here's my zeal, here's my intention, here I am. This is who I am. Here's my resume. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my intentions. And he says, but I've come to figure out that all of my resume, all of my accomplishments, all of that actually only defines my lostness. All of my accomplishments, my family history, my education, my intentions, those only indicate how lost I really am. Actually, Paul considers all of his resume and his accomplishments as, remember this, rubbish, as trash, as a big pile of crap. He says, you want to know what that really means? You want, to take all the, you want to look at my resume and see who I am? It's a big, stinky pile. It's nothing. It's nothing. You see, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that he had to be found in Jesus. He had to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9 that I was found in him. I was found in Jesus. The message of the gospel is that God, this morning, sees you through the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of Christianity is that God sees you through Christ, that you are found in him. God gives you an identity through Jesus. It's not your resume. It's not your accomplishments. It's not your sexuality. It's not your intentions. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you are absolutely complete in Christ. So that you need nothing else. You need nothing else to convince anyone that you're someone. You need nothing else to convince yourself that you're somebody. You need nothing else to try to please God other than acknowledging that you are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of Christianity is not on finding fulfillment through radical decision-making. The message of Christianity 
is actually that someone far more fulfilling has found me and finds us. That's where we've been. That's what the Apostle Paul has been driving home in the first nine verses. But there's more. There's more. You see, the identity part in verses 1 through 9, the identity part is part of a much bigger story. Our identity is actually connected to the entirety of our lives. Everything. Every decision. Every day. Everything. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says that he wants to know Jesus, that he has, he has a righteousness from God that depends on faith at the end of verse 9. In order that he may know him, he may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Paul says that he wants to know Christ. This is far more than the Apostle Paul saying, I need to know intellectually more about the Lord Jesus Christ, although that's really important. We always need to be growing in our knowledge of Christ. What Paul is talking about here is actually the knowledge is a deep, the deepest intimacy, the deepest union possible. He's saying, I want to know Christ in the deepest possible way. It's, it's the knowing someone that requires vulnerability. It's knowing someone in which you are willing to be honest and open. It's understanding that the Lord Jesus left his father's throne and came to this world and made himself vulnerable. That he took on human form and opened himself up to temptation. He opened himself up to the consequences of sin. He opened himself up to be dependent. And it's realizing that the vulnerability of Christ leads to me being vulnerable before Christ. Paul is saying, I want to be vulnerable before the Lord Jesus. I want to be honest with the Lord Jesus because I know he's been vulnerable with me and I know that he has been completely honest with me. And isn't it amazing to want to know someone like Jesus who is absolutely inexhaustible? And I would encourage you, as I do myself, in the best of your relationships, if you're not going deep with people and being vulnerable and being honest and being truthful, you're not really getting anywhere. I'm not saying to make people feel incredibly uncomfortable by asking them the deepest question you can think of the first time you meet them. I'm just saying we need deep relationships. We need them. You need them. I need them. And the Apostle Paul here has probably been a Christian for around 30 years. He's been a believer, a follower of Christ for around 30 years. And what does he want? He wants to know Christ more deeply. He hasn't moved on from that. He is saying, I still need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you have this level, when you desire this deep, intimacy and deep union with someone do you know what ends up happening over time you end up being changed if you're in relationships just so they can affirm you you're not in a real relationship god has established relationships to change us to change us 
And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to know Christ in such a deep way that the effect is that I change and I become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it incredible that as you think about people that you have known who have been together, married perhaps for decades and decades, isn't it fascinating that at times you can observe that the older they get and the longer that they're around each other, the more they look like each other? Isn't that fascinating? And terrifying, I'm sure, for Jenny. Yeah, someone made the comment to me after the 830 service. What, Jenny's growing a beard now? Is that what you're saying? When we are around people and are open and honest and vulnerable with them, we begin to change. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I need to know Christ because I need to continue to change. And it's not just knowing Christ. The Apostle Paul says that he wants to know the power of his resurrection. The Apostle Paul wants to know the power of the resurrected Christ. Christianity is experiential. Christianity is not simply affirming a a list of um, truths. It is deeply experiential. If you didn't gather that from the way that Paul says, I want to know Jesus, he is making it explicit here. He says that I need more power in my life. I need more of the resurrection power at work in my life. I need the power of the resurrected Christ to continue to change me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that raises me. You see, this is why the Apostle Paul can say that he has been found. The resurrected power of Christ has raised Paul from from his spiritual death. The same power is continually at work in him. We need the power of the resurrected Christ to continue to remind us of the love of God. We need the resurrected power of Christ to continue to encourage us to endure, to persevere, to press on, to continue on. We need the power of the resurrected Christ to make us constantly thankful. Because without his power continuing to work in us, we are not generally a thankful people. We're generally very self-absorbed. And we see any hardship in our life as a distraction from what we want. And Paul says that he needs to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Because that... The power of his resurrection actually changes the way that we look at suffering. Isn't it astonishing here when you read these verses that Paul says that he would like to share in the sufferings of Christ? He needs the resurrected power in his life in order for him to share in the sufferings of Christ. Because the resurrected power of Christ changes the way we look at suffering. As a believer... We know that the suffering that we will endure, the suffering that we are currently enduring, the suffering that we will endure is not pointless. Nor is it a punishment from God. As a matter of fact, as a believer, we can have tremendous expectation as we go through suffering. You know what our expectation is? Do you know what your expectation should be as you go through suffering? To find Jesus. 
Suffering is not ultimately about your suffering. It's ultimately about Christ. Because as we endure suffering, we will find Christ there. Your suffering points you to the Lord Jesus. Your suffering connects you to the Lord Jesus. It connects you to his suffering. It connects you to all that he has been through. Suffering connects you to Christ and him to you. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if difficulty is required, if, 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 if I need to go through a difficult time in order to know Christ better, then so be it. Because he knows there's no suffering that he can endure that is even close to what Christ has endured. And because of what Jesus has done, it doesn't matter the suffering that we go through. Christ is there to help sustain us and comfort us and to grant us his grace in the middle and through our suffering. Paul is showing us here how the gospel works in our lives. You see, the gospel unlocks everything about us. It doesn't leave anything locked up. The gospel unlocks everything about us. There is nothing off limits. The grace of God, you see, floods every area of our lives. It floods every area of our lives. Paul is encouraging us to think about everything through Jesus and to know Christ through everything. He mentions here your achievements. You have to consider your achievements through Christ and what Christ is and who he is. We have to think about our suffering through Christ. We have to think about death through Christ. We have to think about after death through Christ. We have to think about our past through Christ. We have to think about our future through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes, sin exposes itself in our lives because we often live as if God is the best way for me to get control of my life. And whenever something doesn't go the way that I want, I get to blame God. Whenever something happens in my life that I'm not expecting, I then can turn and blame God. Our hearts often operate as if God is the best way to control my life. And the Apostle Paul was saying, no. No. Jesus changes everything. It means that no matter what could happen, what has happened, or what's going on, you get to find Christ there, and he finds you there. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying, someone has taken hold of my heart, and I am no longer stagnant. Someone has taken hold of my heart, and I am no longer boring. I'm no longer just focused on myself all of the time. I'm alive. I'm truly alive. And there's not a circumstance of life that can take me away from understanding the Lord Jesus and understanding the love of God and understanding my future. Nothing. My insecurities have an answer. The reason for all of my bitterness evaporates with the resurrection of Christ. If Christ is my life, then all of my life is now an adventure. If Christ is my life, then I am not trying to control my life. I am living my life with Jesus. I'm living my life with Christ. I've been found 
and I'm alive, truly alive. So let's come back to the question. What is it in your future that changes and affects your now? What is it in your future that changes your now? Because everybody has something. Everyone in this room has an answer. And there's nothing wrong with saying, well, the vacation I'm planning in June has a great effect on my life. It, it makes, me help, makes me think that I can make it there to June, right? There's nothing wrong with those things. But what is it that changes your now? If Christianity is just, is only about making your life bearable right now, then all that Christianity is is a nice idea. It's just a meme. It's just a crutch. But because there is a larger story, because there is a larger story, it has power now. And it has cosmic significance. Christianity isn't finding fulfillment by ridding yourself of earthly possessions. Christianity is not the best escape plan that you could ever imagine. In which you live your life and think, well, everything's kind of meaningless and I'm super pessimistic about everything into the future. And man, I just can't wait to get out of here. That is not what Christianity is at all. Christianity is, in truth, the power of the world to come has broken in. The power of the world to come breaks in and it radically changes our lives so that we recognize our resume and our accomplishments, our education, our intentions, everything else means nothing before God and I need to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't just radically change my heart. My heart is so radically changed that my entire life is reoriented toward hope. That I have every reason to live every day trusting that I will find Christ and that God will be with me. What is it ultimately in your future that changes your now? It's the fact that we have a present power from a future glory. Right now, today, there is power, present power, because what is to ultimately come in the future? I don't know of a better way to illustrate this for you today than the Lord's Supper. You see, as we gather around the table, as we take bread and drink, it's, there's far more going on than just remembering. Far more. We're communing and fellowshipping with Christ, the Trinity. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine again until he drinks it new with us in his Father's kingdom. What's happening when we come to the table is that we get a present taste from a future feast. When we come to the table, we, we are nourished, but not completely satisfied. That's what's to come. Remember, brothers, 
and sisters that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was eating a meal with them. They were celebrating the Passover. And as they were celebrating that meal, Jesus took the bread and he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Take this and eat it, for in so doing, you are remembering that my life is given for you. He also took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he said, this cup represents my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the blood that is shed for, the, for forgiveness of your sins. Drink. And remember that your sins are forgiven. Drink and remember that one day we will drink together.